So have you ever been asked a question that you have absolutely no idea how to answer? I mean, every answer you offer is an inadequate answer to the question you've been asked. Uh, I had that happen to me a few years ago. A young man named Tony. Tony had come to a church service. He had encountered Jesus Christ. He had given his life to Jesus. And, and now he was sitting in my office looking across the desk at me, and he asked the question, Hey, Pastor, Now that I've set my life apart for Jesus Christ, now that I want to live as a follower of Jesus, I I just want to know, how can I be a part of of what's going on around here at the church? How can I be a part of uh, the kingdom of God you keep talking about? I mean, what, what, so far, you know, I'm I'm getting a few answers in my head as he's talking, and then he hit me with the question. Here, Here it is. What do Christians do for fun? What do they do for fun? I, I, I looked at him and I said, well, Tony, um, you know, here at the church, we got a softball team. He said, Pastor, I've been smoking three packs a day for a whole long time. I can't, I can't even run to first base. I said, well, you know, some of us are musical and they, they like to sing and, and, and have a band. And he said, Pastor, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I, 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 I said, you know, well, there's this group. And everything I came up with, he said, and finally, we said, you know what, Tony, let's just, uh, let's just keep praying keep looking, and we'll find what it is that God has for you, because you are uniquely you. He said, well, pastor, you know my story. He said, you know, I, you know, I, I went to prison when everybody else went to college. I, I just kind of got out, and I'm trying to figure my way through, and, and I just kind of was needing, you know, to find out if I set my life apart for Jesus, now I just need to know how can I be a part of the kingdom of God? And this morning, as we're looking at the stories that, that come out of the book of Acts, uh, the stories that are yours and mine and ours for the stories of God's people out of the first century, I think Tony's question is a valid question. I think it's a question that all of us need to ask ourselves because, quite honestly, the last, the last 60 or 90 days, if they've taught us anything, should have taught us that that some of the things that we have traditionally looked at as a part of the church culture, uh, they really were more a part of the culture than the church. And and what what happens in the book of Acts is that there were a group of people like us who thought they knew about church. They thought they knew how to be a part of the church. I mean, they had been raised as Jewish believers. They had been raised going to synagogue. They had been raised in going to temple and then the feast and all of the regimen of the Jewish faith. And, and now suddenly Jesus had shown up. And Jesus had completely changed who they were. As we talked last week, there were 3,120 of them now who had, who had had this encounter where the Holy Spirit broke into the upper room where those 120 were, and they spilled out into the city. And then the 3,000 plus who heard them talk about this Jesus and give glory to God. And Peter had that wonderful uh, sermon about who Jesus was and how they could be a part of what Jesus came to do. And and they had responded. These 3,000 people had responded and said, hey, you know what? I want to do that. Just like Tony, they they wanted to be a part. But, But they had to relearn everything. So listen. Listen to the way Luke records it in 
the book of Acts, the second chapter. I'll start reading at verse 32. Uh, the, the, the pronoun they in, in this is, is referencing these 3,120 people. Every time you, I read the term they, I want, you to, I want you to reference that. I want you to think in terms of, of 3,000 people plus the 120 in the upper room, but 3,000 of them who had, who had asked that same question. Now that I've set myself apart for Jesus, now that I've asked him into my life, how can I be a part of what he wants to do? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Many of you have heard that passage before. It's a, it's a well-known passage in the life of the church. I, I, I've seen entire books written about this passage. I've seen emphases for the church about how to restructure itself based on this passage. But, but in all the books I've read and all the sermons I've listened to and all the times I've read the passage myself, I, th- there's, a, there's a part to it that I, I think that, that we missed because it, it's so simple. It says, and they devoted themselves. Oh, that phrase, d- d- devoted themselves? What, what that really means is, is that they set themselves apart. I mean, the, the Greek word that's translated that, it, it basically means that they are so loyal to this that everything else, everything else pales in comparison. Everything else kind of fades into the background. This same word was used in the Old Testament to talk about people who, who devoted themselves to foreign gods. It was used when the Israelites were conquering Jericho. If you know that old story from the Old Testament where Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, maybe you sang that as a child. And if you read the story, you'll see that, that the Israelites were given instructions when they conquered Jericho to not touch the devoted things. The things that were set apart for, for devotion to another God besides Yahweh, they were, to, they were to ignore those things. And what's going on now in, in this first century in Jerusalem as, the, as these 3,120 people are discovering that Jesus can change your life, just like my friend Tony discovered it, what, what's going on for them is that they are, that they are now learning to devote themselves, to set themselves apart to be a part, to be a part of what God was doing. And so, and so if we go too quickly past that and just say, oh, well, yeah, they were, they were just all gathering together and listening to the apostles teach. No, no, no. No, no. They, they, were, they were getting a totally new worldview, a radically different worldview from the one they had known all of their life. What they were being given was, was an opportunity to see God create something brand new in them, something that was different than they had ever known before. And, and so they were, they were being a part of learning 
from the source of truth. Uh, when it says that, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, I, I want you to hear that. that. That's more than just like a Bible study, okay? That, that, that's more than just like when I was in college, we'd have those 2 a.m. slam sessions where everybody would get together and, and you know, you'd talk all the guys on the floor and, and, you know, and somebody would say, well, my Bible says this and my Bible says that, and we're going we're to pool our ignorance and come up with wisdom, all right? But, but the, the fact is, that wasn't what was going on there. What was going on there in, in Jerusalem in these days after the experience of the Holy Spirit in filling those 120 people in the upper room and the 3,000 people setting themselves apart was that the apostles, the apostles were sharing with those 3,000 people what Jesus had shared with them for three and a half years. It was a unique set of circumstances. It wasn't the same old, same old. It wasn't the pooled wisdom that never produces, or the pooled ignorance that never produces wisdom. No, it, was, it wasn't even the pooled wisdom of a bunch of human people. No, it, it was the direct teaching of Jesus. Because you see, these, these 11 men plus Matthias who had been added to the group plus the other women and the brothers of Jesus, they had heard Jesus. They had heard him teach. And do you remember some of the things you've read in the Bible about the way Jesus taught? See, Jesus would say things like this. Well, you have heard it said unto you, and he would talk about what they had learned about their faith through their Jewish background. You've heard it said to you that God is like this. But I say, and, and then he would take whatever they had heard and he would expound it and expand it into something beyond anything they'd ever considered. That's why he dumbfounded the scribes and the Pharisees so often. It wasn't that he came in and kicked over the things that they had taught. It's that he showed them that what they thought they believed wasn't enough. That what was really in God's heart was something more than the way they had codified and made the, the, the rules of a religious system. But no, it was more than that. And Jesus, every time, would take what they thought they knew and say, look, you missed it. You missed it. And so what these people are devoted to, what these people have set themselves apart for, is the apostles, the people who had listened to Jesus, are now in the temple courts, in Solomon's court, actually, inside the temple, the same place where Jesus would teach. They're gathering day by day. And, and as they're gathering in, these people who had been with Jesus, who were marked by His presence, who were filled with His Spirit, are now sharing with them, with these 3,000 plus people who have said, hey, we're going to follow Jesus. They're sharing a, a level of truth that they had never heard before. Some of you are, are listening to me or looking at me and, and wondering, Pastor, why are you so animated about this? It's because after the last 90 days, after all the things that are going on around us right now, it's come to my heart that maybe, just, just maybe, the only real answer for all the stuff that we're experiencing is for us to hear the apostolic teaching of Jesus through His disciples, which, by the way, we now have access to in this book called the Bible. Later on, what they were teaching was actually written down and presented to us. But what Luke is telling us in Acts chapter 2 is that, is that to be set apart for the kingdom of God means you get to be a part of learning the truth, and there's a different worldview than the worldview around us. 
Uh, I was raised in an educational system that, that taught me that if I really wanted to know what was going on in the world, I should always entertain at least two, at least two different views of the world. And the way I was taught to do that in a, a day long before the internet existed was that I should, always, I should always read either one newspaper or one magazine written by a, a, a Democratic Party-leaning editorial board and one by a Republican-leaning editorial board. And so all of my life, I would subscribe to two magazines or two newspapers or I had access to, in order to get some form of balanced opinion, I would, I would read from both sides of the continuum. And you know what I've learned? Nobody wants to be in the middle anymore. If you don't believe me, go on the cable news network of your choice. Now, be sure you choose two. I did this yesterday just to reconfirm what I thought I believed, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. We're living in a world so polarized, so divided, so angry, so hurt that, that everybody wants to promote their truth, and everybody believes their truth is the truth. And now somehow the truth of God, the truth of Jesus, the truth of the Word of God, the Bible has now just become one more place of truth. And you can have yours, and you can have yours, and I can have mine. And what was going on in the place where we're set apart to be apart is that those 3,000 people were saying, you know what, I came here to worship what I thought was real. I came here. You did remember what we read last week from Acts chapter 2. These people came from multiple countries and multiple perspectives to worship in the synagogue, the temple, the Jewish expression. They were there for a feast in Jerusalem at the temple. They were pilgrims. They're on a holy mission. And now suddenly God redirects their life with more truth than they've ever known before. See, being set apart to be apart means that that you've got to start with this place where, you, where you're willing to say to God, your truth is more than my truth. Your truth is the truth. And I'm going to let my heart, I'm going to let my mind, I'm going to let my life fall under that truth. If you want to be set apart to be a part, You've got to do what these 3,120 people did. You, you've, got to, you, 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 you've got to be dedicated to. You've got to be devoted to the truth that is real and outlast all the other opinions. Uh, the other thing, did you catch it? Uh, look, look at it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, that, that second thing, the fellowship, it's a Greek word called koinonia. And koinonia is more than shaking hands and sharing refreshments, okay? When I was a kid growing up, we always had the fellowship time, all right, at the church where my father was the pastor. And I liked the fellowship time because at the fellowship time, somebody in the South is making banana pudding. I'll just tell you that right now, all right? And at the fellowship time at the church, somebody's making fried chicken, all right? At the fellowship time at the church, it's going to be a great place to eat. This is why preachers are traditionally bald and fat, okay? It's the church's fault. It's not ours, okay? And, 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 what, and, and what I remember was, you know, we call that the fellowship. And we even had the fellowship hall, okay? Can I tell you something? That is so, such a minuscule part of koinonia. 
the koinonia, this word that's translated fellowship, it doesn't just mean getting together and slapping each other on the back, saying hi and how you doing. No, no. The, the, the root word of it means that, that you are a part of something with someone else. Later on, this same word would be used for the Apostle Paul when the disciples in Jerusalem would invite him in so that he could share in the koinonia. He could share in the mission. He could share in the fellowship. He was a part of it. You see, what, what, what koinonia really means is to be a part of the caring and the bearing in the midst of life. You're not just saying the words, you're actually being a part of the life of someone else. One of the things that I love about Eastside Church, one of the great beauties of being your pastor is I've watched you for a couple of decades now care for each other. I've watched you walk alongside with each other. I, 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 I'll see the way God uses you on missions trips or, or uses you in fellowship groups or, or uses you in some way or fashion, sometimes just in life in general. But you care and you bear and you walk together with it. <laughs> Tony, that I was telling you about with that great question, he, he learned about caring and, and bearing from two guys who were still college students. They were just a little younger than him. Tony kept coming to church. He kept building relationships. And, and, and he happened to, to get connected with these, these guys. Uh, they happened to be twins. And they had a couple of friends, and they were younger than Tony, but they all kind of put up with him and got along with him, and, and, and they're all doing it together until one night, they, they all went over to pick Tony up to go somewhere. And uh, the next thing Tony knows, they're in my office. Because when they got there, they said, Tony, tell Pastor what you were doing. He said, oh, guys, I don't know. Tell Pastor what you're doing. I said, well, what? I said, Tony, what's going on? He said, well, Pastor, I, I'm struggling a little bit with my faith, and I'm struggling a little bit because I kind of miss some of the old stuff. And so, I, you know, you know, I had substance abuse issues, and that's part of why I ended up in prison. And, and so I, I went out and bought some stuff. And just when I was getting ready to light that stuff up and have a party, these guys, my new Christian friends, showed up at my house. And they looked at me and said, uh-uh, you're set apart from that. You're a part of us. You can't do that anymore. That's not what we do. He said, but guys, I, and he said, they took it, Pastor, and they flushed it down the toilet. I said, how much money are we talking about, Tony? He goes, a week's pay. I said to the guys, great job. This is what it means to be in the fellowship. This is what it means to be in the koinonia. This is what it means to care and bear one another's burdens. When you do that well as the body of Christ, when, when, when you're not just set apart to, to listen to the teaching, but you actually enter into the life with one another, you find the opportunities. And sometimes it means confrontation. Sometimes it means comfort. One of the men in our church one day, I was leaving the office, and I, someone mentioned, one of the staff mentioned that someone was having knee surgery. I just happened to have a few extra minutes, and, and so I, I stopped by the hospital. Now, the problem is, normally, those of you who are here all the time, you know, there are other members of the pastoral staff, there are members of our congregation, some of you who are in this room, you visit the hospitals regularly. And we, that's a part of a system we have here called congregational care. Pastor Anita Jack, uh, Jason Freeze, Pastor Marion Randolph, uh, they, all those pastors, they kind of work in that area. 
And, and, but on this particular day, I think they had all seen this person. But I, I just, you know, I thought, hey, I've got a little time. So I showed up at the hospital to see. Uh, just I walked in, and the, the lady there in the pink coat thing, she was like, um, well, uh, he's already in the prep room. He's about to go into surgery. I said, well, I'm Pastor Robinson from Eastside Church. Like, that's going to mean something, right? And, and, and I'm like, okay, so would you, uh, would, you know, can I go back? Oh, sure, Pastor, go back. And so I go on back. Now, here's the deal. This guy doesn't know I'm coming. He's already been prayed for. There are already members of the congregation who have been with him. They're taking care of him. But here comes Pastor Carrie in. And I walk in, and his eyes got as big as half dollars. And he looked up, and these are the first words out of his mouth. It is just knee surgery, isn't it, Pastor? There's nothing I don't know about here, is there? And I'm like, uh, no, man, it's just knee surgery. I just wanted to pray with you. Can I tell you as your pastor, I'm so thrilled at the way you care for one another. I know, I know some of you may have had some instance in your life where something took place and the rest of the body of Christ didn't know about it and we missed it. And to you, I'm sorry. But can I tell you? that when you're set apart to be apart, you're devoted, you're devoted to the truth of God's Word, God will provide people who will come along, and they will, they will be the koinonia for you. They, they will do this. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What Luke's talking about is that because they were caring and bearing, because they were the koinonia, they, they were literally changing the culture around them. And that's what I think this time frame gives us is the opportunity to, to change the culture around us by being a part of sharing and caring and bearing one another's burdens. In fact, in that early church, it, it became so evident that, that they were a part of that, that, that they, began to, they began to share with generosity. They, they, were, they, they began to share out of, out of what they owned. I mean, look at the, look at the, the way Luke writes it when he says, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, I have people every once in a while read that and say to me, well, now see, that says communism started in the Bible. Not, not at all. Total difference. Uh, well, we should all be selling our stuff and living in community, yeah, yeah, in the same house. Yeah, not, 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 not the same thing. Because if you keep reading, you'll notice that they were still gathering in each other's homes. So not everybody was selling their house. This wasn't the church selling everything and standing on a hillside waiting for Jesus to come back. That, that's not what was there. Oh, and by the way, the communism thing, communism is always imposed by some outside authority who says you have to sell what you have in order to be a part of the, pro, uh, uh, of the group. And, and so that's not what this is either. What this is, is that they had so changed their worldview, they had so realigned their loyalties, they were so devoted to the truth that Jesus had brought into the world, and they were so committed to caring and bearing one another's burdens in the midst of life that the people around them began to be in awe of the way they loved each other, or the way they cared for each other, and the way they reached out to one another, and the way they, they responded to people who didn't even like them, people who didn't even look like them, people who didn't even think like them, but the believers in Jesus Christ, the 3,100 120 people who had been so radically transformed by Jesus' Spirit were people who were able to share out of their generosity. And I just want to say to you, I've watched you do that. When we entered into this COVID-19 situation, all the experts around the country 
told pastors like me, all the consultants, they, emails, phone calls, hey, you've got to cut your budget. You don't know what's going to happen with this. And so we responded. Our leadership team here, did we cut our budget by 20%? We were told that we should cut it by 30 to 50% because you don't know what's going to happen. Can I tell you what has happened? Now 90 days in to our new financial year, even though we cut all the budget, can I tell you, instead of taking a 20 or 30 or 50% drop in our income, we got the reports this week here at Eastside Church because of the way you've given online, because of the way you've mailed your your gifts in because of the way you've participated in sharing through the burdens of life. We are dead even with last year's income in the same three months. Now, you got, yeah, you, that is a praise the Lord, all right? Yeah, those, are, those of you online, they're clapping in here. I don't know if you can hear that or not, all right? But here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that this pastor is thrilled to death to be dead even. Most years, I'd be like, oh, we're just dead even. No, right now, I'm like, yes, we are dead even. And it's not even that. It's also the fact that in the midst of that, some of you have been so moved by the stories of other people that you've given extra money in order to help. Like the team that went to Bangladesh found out that in Bangladesh when COVID-19 hit and the government put shelter in place in line, if you're living in a place like Bangladesh, and most of the families in that country are in this situation where you work every day to get enough money to pay for the food that you're going to eat that day. And the choice of not going to work means not feeding your family. There were people who had just been to Bangladesh from this congregation who contacted me, along with our friend Toppin Borman, who, by the way, has already watched the 9 o'clock stream of this. Toppin's in Bangladesh. He watches every week, all right? And along with some other church groups, some sister congregations, we were able to take some money, not, not just the money for this place, but, but money for the other side of the world and send it to them so that, so that a group of 500 families has been being fed by the partnerships of this congregation and others during COVID-19. This week, we sent money to South India for the Church of God in South India because as the COVID numbers are spiking there, there's the same kind of things. What I want you to know is you're a part of a congregation that has an understanding that when we are set apart to be apart, it creates a generosity. And it's not mandated. It's not commanded. It is a response of generosity. And I just want to say thank you but there's one more thing that happened. You see, when, when you start living like that, did you hear it? The, the disciples were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to the prayers. To the prayers. You see, when you're set apart to be a part, you become a part of the life of prayer and praise. Luke writes it like this. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, they, they focused themselves on who Jesus was and who he is. And so this morning, I just thought perhaps the best way for us to close our time together, whether we're on campus or online, is to take just a few moments and pray together because we're set apart to be a part of the kingdom of God. Pray with me. Abba, Papa, 
our Heavenly Father. You are the one who loves us more than anyone else. You are the one who radically changes our life. And today, we, we want to be set apart to be a part of the work you're doing. So thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the, those who care and bear the burdens in the midst of life. Thank you for the generosity of your people. May it always grow in us to make a difference in the world. Because, Papa, our world's broken right now. Oh, we know it's always been broken, but, but, but we know that right now it's really, really visible. And the world is looking for somebody, for a group of somebodies, for a church that knows how to pray and praise and love in the name of Jesus. So help us to be those people. Lord, it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.